0: hello again everybody here we are we're recording again and we've made some further concessions to uh, to work with this stay-at-home order and this uh, virus thing we're going through i apologize we did not have our praise and worship team here to provide that for you today just thought as some new information is coming out while we're sorting through it thought it best that they not Uh, be gathered on the stage like they were last year. They did such an incredible job last week. I was so happy to be able to do it, and hopefully we'll have a solution to that problem by next week. Meanwhile, you should have gotten an email telling you, A, what time to tune in this morning so we can do this together again, and B, to encourage you to uh, have spent some time in praise and worship. Uh, Thank God there are lots of resources Uh, Some great music you can pick it pick what uh, some things your family enjoys and I really strongly encourage you to worship together as a family and then again, I I am uh, grateful for the technology and uh, For the people who are working this technology. Thanks Jake. Thanks Matt who are here running this thing today uh, To enable us to enjoy these moments together Uh, For those of you who are not Part of living word family church i'm scott i'm the pastor here and i'm so glad you're joining us this morning i'm going to uh i'll open prayer here in just a few minutes but i want to say something because i'm going to go a different direction this morning um but i do want to say something about the latest with the uh, coronavirus slash COVID 19 stuff there's a lot of news every day uh and some of that news is is uh conspiracy theories, and and I say conspiracy theories, I don't mean that to dismiss them. There might be a grain of truth in several of those, but people have got all sorts of ideas about where this came from, about what it's really doing, and are we being lied to, and who's lying to us. Uh, But just be careful. I know we have to be informed, but don't immerse yourself in all of the theories. Don't even immerse yourself in, in the straight news because uh, there are a couple of potent dangers in doing that. One, of course, is that it can feed or cultivate fear. I'm not saying we need to be ostriches about this. We don't want to plug our ears and pretend uh, that this isn't happening. We do need to be informed, but we don't need to soak in all the bad news, all right? Remember, we are to live by faith, and fear will feed your doubt, which is the opposite of faith. Fear will feed your doubt just like uh, the word feeds your faith. So let's stay immersed in the word instead. The other danger of being immersed in this whole COVID-19 news stuff is that it can distract us from other things, bigger things, more important things. Yes, more important. Did you remember that this is Palm Sunday? And next week, we will celebrate Resurrection Day. Um, So rather than build a message around this crisis, what I want to do is get our eyes off of the quarantine and off of the disease and on to the word of God and on Jesus himself. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, thank you again uh, for this church. Thank you for your presence in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our hearts. Thank you that uh, even though we cannot be physically together, Uh, you have given us the means to connect this way for now we continue to pray for the day and hasten the day lord when we can assemble once again in your name meanwhile lord we are trusting you to strengthen the ties that bind us together as a local expression of your body and our community and in the earth today we pray lord that you reveal yourself to us today as we break the bread of your word may we find nourishment speak to us lord Uh, We are trusting you and believing for divine impartations of grace and truth that will transform us and make us effective ministers of the gospel you've called us to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, open our Bibles to Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives... He sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go to the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately, you will send it here. So they went on their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let him go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom Of our father David, that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is what's known as the triumphal entry, and it appears in all four gospels. John specifies that the branches, at least some of the branches, that the people cut down, and they were basically making a carpet, like rolling out the red carpet. But some of these branches were palm branches, which is why we call it Palm Sunday. But this is what it's all about: this entry into Jerusalem and the enthusiastic welcome and reception and recognition that he received from the Jews. Now, I know a lot of you know this, uh, but remember, we're reaching folks outside of our local church here, and anyway, it's important to be reminded. Remember, because of Old Testament prophecy, uh, particularly Daniel, uh, there were Jews who knew that the time was right, that, Jesus, that, that the Messiah could appear and would appear on the scene, any at any time uh given the day and the age they lived in and just counting the years so there were people who were on the lookout for the messiah and uh there were there are plenty of references we know reading through the gospels of tension between the pharisees and the Sadducees, the pharisees and jesus and the sadducees and jesus and uh their argument with Jesus and his messiahship had nothing to do with, for instance, whether or not he could or was doing miracles. It was clear that he was. They wanted to know by what authority he did the things he was doing, they wanted to know by what authority he taught what he was teaching. And this was the big question Is this just a prophet? He was an impressive prophet. He was an impressive teacher. He had an impressive following. Or was he indeed the Messiah? This wasn't immediately clear to his even his closest followers, and even when it was, they had some specific ideas about what the Messiah should do or would do. And uh, these ideas, and they were they were pretty common. The, your average Jew, the Pharisees and his closest disciples all these ideas they had about what the messiah was and would do revolved around overthrowing rome restoring israel to its place of power like it enjoyed during the reign of king david this is who messiah was in their eyes another david who's going to uh reestablish the glory days of israel and uh The Messiah was going to come and get the foot of Rome off the necks of Israel. He was going to save them, deliver them. And there were plenty of precedents. You read in uh, the book of Judges, in the Kings, we see account after account of how God used men and women to uh, lead Israel. In great battles against enemies, even when they were greatly outnumbered, God would use and empower a very small army to defeat a large enemy army. In some cases, God himself did all the fighting, and the Israelites didn't have to fight at all. And this was important because Rome was huge, and they didn't have to worry about how are we going to raise an army large enough to fight Rome? Because if we have another King David beating us, and if the Lord is indeed on our side, we've got nothing to worry about. So, the people were convinced that if this was the Messiah, they could get behind him. And he started to give them clues, started to reveal that, yes, he was indeed the Messiah. And if he was, they're like, let's go, get to it, get to saving us. All the people were convinced he was a great prophet. And as they little by little became convinced he was the Messiah, they were less sure about how he was going about it. He taught them. He was patient with them. He fed them. He did miracles. And even his disciples, when Jesus began to reveal the plan of God to them, I mean specifically saying things like, for instance, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be turned over to the authorities and I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then the next thing you see the disciples saying is, uh, okay, when you restore the kingdom, Can I sit right next to you? Who gets the the seats of honor? They are still looking down the road in terms of the restoration of the earthly kingdom of Israel. So how is all this going to play out? When would Jesus make his move, as it were? Maybe they thought he's just waiting for us to get behind him. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, this was their way of letting him know that they were with him. Okay, Jesus? Jesus? You've convinced us. You are the Savior, so save. Save now. Hosanna. That's what that means. Oh, save. Save now. And when he was arrested a little later on and mocked and beaten and led before Pilate and then Herod and then back to Pilate and he did nothing, this angered the people. Not all of them, but most turned on him. They went from shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him. Why? Because this was a huge letdown. We really thought it was him. If you're gonna save us, Jesus, save us now. Make your move, we're with you. The triumphal entry was the moment the multitudes looked to Jesus, not just for miracles, not just for healing, and not just for teaching, but for deliverance, for salvation. And the beautiful thing about this is that is exactly what he was there to do. The reason their deliverance didn't look like they thought their deliverance would look was because their problem wasn't what they thought their problem was. Their problem, they thought their problem was Rome. Jesus knew their problem was sin. Think back to some of the things Jesus said. You can look in Matthew chapter 5. And I'll begin reading in verse 20. And Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Skip down to verse 27. You have heard that was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's Jesus doing here? He's demonstrating how desperately wicked we all are. These Pharisees, and many people today, by the way, patting themselves on the back for their enormous self-control because they haven't killed somebody, because they haven't committed adultery. And Jesus is making it clear that the fact that we have to exercise self-control to keep from killing one another indicates that there's something terribly, terribly wrong with us. That's not how it was in the garden. But we're so used to, we're so accustomed to having these evil desires that we think we're good just for not acting on them. Jesus is saying, that's not how it was. That's not how you were created to be. You weren't created with those desires. The fact that those desires exist means there is a much deeper problem than your ability to control yourself. And he didn't come to offer a new, improved law. He came to offer a new life. He rode into the city to shouts of acclamation and cries for salvation, and the crowd that cursed him on his way to the crucifixion didn't understand that the crucifixion was, in fact, the answer to their prayers. Jesus says, I'm going to save you, all right, but you have a bigger problem than Rome. And what about you? What about us in these uncertain times, particularly in these uncertain times? We might be looking for rescue. We are desperately searching for a cure, for a vaccine, for a return to normal, for the economy to survive and bounce back. But what if I told you there are bigger issues than that? Do you know that we have precisely the same problem that the Jews of Jesus' day had? Had we have sin nature, and because of that, we sin. We disobey God, and we disqualify ourselves from His kingdom. When we fall short of His glory, we're unfit. The bad news is that sin is a virus that has infected all of mankind. The bad news is that there is nothing that we can do to rid ourselves of it, and it is one hundred percent fatal. It's a bloodborne pathogen that has been handed down to us from our first father, Adam. We are living with a death sentence. The good news is, Jesus Christ served that sentence. He died for us. Jesus Christ is 100% righteous, but became sin for us. God, in his purity and his holiness, cannot ignore sin. When he forgives us, he can't just wink and wave it away, because God is also 100% just. And our sin, the world's sin, cries out for justice. If we are to be free from sin, then sin must be judged. It invites wrath. It invites judgment. So God, loving us while we were yet sinners, placed your sin, my sin, the sin of the world, on Jesus Christ and poured his judgment out there at the cross. Your sin was judged in Jesus, if you are in Jesus. But are you? Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord? I've talked this morning about the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Next week, we will be looking at the resurrection. It's exciting. It is the single most important event in history. It is the very center of our faith. Jesus rose to life and he offers us that very resurrection life just as we inherit sin from Adam. Because we were all in Adam, we we who are in Christ inherit that new life from Christ. In that life there is freedom, there is healing, there is forgiveness, and there is peace. I'm not quite done yet. I'm going to circle back to this. Another thing that's on a lot of people's minds these days, believers now. The coronavirus, COVID-19. This is all over the news, absolutely dominating the news cycle, and it has messed up our lives in a number of different ways. And people are starting to wonder is there something bigger behind this? And I'm not talking about conspiracy theories now, I'm talking about the last days. I had a conversation with a guy yesterday when we were remembering. I was remembering that when I came to Christ, I came to Christ about age 12, and a couple years later, Uh, starting about the time, really before that, but certainly starting about the time uh, my family moved down to Tulsa for Dad to go to Rima. The dominant theme was the rapture, the last days, the return of Christ. We were all convinced that we were living in the last of the last days, and it was exciting stuff to talk about. And it kind of kept us on our toes, thinking that the rapture could happen any minute. When I got back to uh, Illinois, Uh, this was still a strong theme in Christianity. There were movies being made, Uh, the Thief in the Night series. There were three movies that were shown, uh, believe it or not, in lecture halls at the U of I, and people, the public was invited to come see these, and I did, uh, along with all my friends. And we talked about it and talked about it, and there were books and there were seminars that all had to do with the imminence of the lord's return or the rapture depending on your view of this but they, they would all be within seven years anyway we were convinced uh that we were that the tribulation could start at any time there were tracts that were published 88 reasons jesus is coming back in 88 and then a correction the following year and i'm not making fun the guy was absolutely sincere he had some good reasons Uh, but the next year was 89 reasons he's coming back in 89. And people have predicted and been wrong for years. And I kind of think that somewhere along the line, we lost the eye of the tiger. We stopped actively anticipating the rapture or the return of Jesus. We know doctrinally it's going to happen. We know the last days are going to happen. But after all, Paul believed he was living in the last days. Peter believed he was living in the last days. Many of these men, at least for a time, believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And Christians have believed that down through the ages. And it's easy to see how a plague or a disaster can fit into biblical prophecy. Uh, and I think we've gotten so used to it not being it that we've possibly forgotten that this could be it. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying let's keep our eyes open because one of these days, it is going to be it. The last days, and when I say the last days, I mean this Daniel's 70th week, this seven-year period of unfulfilled prophecy that includes the tribulation and culminates with the return of Jesus Christ. It really is going to happen. So what am I saying? This isn't doom and gloom. It's just the opposite. If, just say, for example, COVID-19, is the event that launches us into this final seven-year period? What does that mean? It means we ain't seen nothing yet in terms of the bad things that are going to get that are going to happen. It's going to get a whole lot worse than this. But guess what? What else it means? It means we are no more than seven years away from seeing Jesus Christ face to face. That should be the heart, the heartbeat of every christian every believer should long for that more than anything our reaction should never be oh no i want to get back to normal so i can just go back to living my life yes we enjoy god's blessings when things are normal but what our hearts cry should be is i want to see jesus and what if what if we are no more than seven years away from that happening here's the question are you ready to meet him And when I say ready, I'm talking to two groups of people, to the believer, to the church. Are you doing the things you want to be found doing when he returns? Are you living the gospel? Are you preaching the gospel? Are you keeping yourself pure? Are you worshiping him? Are you actually living for him and not just living because of him? To the person who has not yet made that confession of faith, you are not ready to meet him. Because only those who have confessed their belief in Jesus Christ and believe that God has raised him from the dead, made him their Lord, those are the ones who are saved. We are the ones who who have been sealed, who have been placed in Christ, and have been granted the assurance of eternal life. It's heaven or hell. And there's more to it than that. There is protection and provision and, like I said, peace, even in the midst of these storms for those who are in Christ. And, the, and I, as I mentioned earlier, the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. If you're asking, well, then what do I have to do? This is the great news. Nothing. Jesus did it all. You just have to believe. You have to accept him personally as your Lord, and he becomes your Savior. If you'd like to make that decision today— Pray along with me when we get to the end uh, of this closing prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us your son and paying the price for our redemption, for our deliverance, for our salvation with his blood. The Pharisees didn't know it. The Jews didn't know it. But when they cried out, his blood be on us, And on our children, they were speaking prophetically. And we thank you for the blood that washes us clean, purifies us, and qualifies us for the kingdom of God. Fathers, we cry out for deliverance in this time of crisis. We are reminded that sometimes the deliverance we're crying out for is not going to look like what we think it should look like. We believe that you deliver us from what we need to be delivered from. Father, if it's time to be delivered from this world, make us ready. Let us be found ready and working, watching, working, and praying, anticipating your return so that we are not terrified, but excited and eager to see your face. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody listening to this, watching this recording who does not know you, as Father, who has never received that gift of eternal life, that you would pierce their heart, convict them of their need for a Savior, and move on them to pray this. Lord God, I am a sinner, like every other person who's ever been born, and I desire to be saved. I desire to receive the eternal life that I just heard about, and I believe that Jesus Christ Was crucified, dead, buried, and rose from the grave to offer me that life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I make you, I declare that you are my Lord, and I believe that you have become my Savior. I believe, God, that you are now my Father, and I thank you for that salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can check that out for yourself in Romans 2. Chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you made that decision, we want to hear from you. Uh, If you've got questions or concerns, if God has spoken to you something uh, during this message, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you, period. We love you. We continue to pray for you. We'll be in touch this week via email and Facebook and some other ways. And uh, God bless you.